Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. On today's show, we have Lefty out there. He's in London for Vivas 2, a continuation of Vivas in 2019. A lot's happened between now and then, so I'm going to get in deep with Lefty right now. We've covered our bio. We know how you got started in the art business. If people haven't heard, go back and listen to One and Two with you. And now we're talking about a post-pandemic creative renaissance, in a sense, and, and how it's affected you. Want to take it away? I'm excited to be here. And uh, like I said, that you know, this show is going to be amazing. I'm really, really excited for everyone to see this body of work. Um, I think it's an exceptional body of work. You know, if I do say so myself, the, the craftsmanship and everything that goes along with it, I'm super proud of. Um, also, just the, the pure aesthetic and the style that the show embodies the op art movement is something that speaks very closely to my heart um it's what i collect and what i enjoy looking at myself you know creations from other people so it's really nice to it give my addition to that and almost you know add my piece to the puzzle and show people you know kind of what i enjoy and and how i like to produce and in 2019 you had a show in shepherd market and uh a lot's happened since then to affect your consciousness, to affect the way you think about the world. I see in that a change in your work. Now, maybe that's just something I see because this installation's different. Uh, but but the fact that it's Vivas too makes me think there's a continuum. Correct. And I also just, you know, obviously through years of time and, and practice, because it has been a couple years, you know, so obviously I've been making so many pieces since then and, and honing in my craft and building up my team and doing everything to make steps in the right direction. Uh, one of the major shifts that's happened in my personal life, um, I, I lived the whole time and I lived in Chicago and LA, but for Vivas 1, I produced the works in Chicago and Vivas 2, they all were produced in Los Angeles. So even though I, I've been living in both of those cities at the same time, that was a big shift. Um, the change in studios um, the difference is the one in Chicago is amazing studio, but the one in LA it just it's different, um, which means that there's different vendors and different people that I'm working with. The team is still the same in some as- aspect, but I added some additional people, and I think that all comes into play when we're talking about the aesthetic, the quality, and you know everything that has to do with the body of the work. For those of you who haven't seen Lefty's work, uh, he has about 60 murals around the world uh, covered everywhere except for Antarctica, Africa, South America, with the aim of covering the world, space, the water. His work is sometimes called squiggles. Really, it's uh, polymorphs. It has a feeling of some of Keith Haring's early murals. Also, this sort of self, self-obliteration of Kusama. There's this idea that you're transcending whatever's real. Um, I read something earlier this week that the average person spends about 27 seconds when they look at a a piece of artwork, a painting, a sculpture. Uh, But what Lefty's asking you is to slow down and let the work have an effect on you. Uh, in, In times of pop art and figuration, let's say the 50s and 60s, that's when op art raises its head as a point of opposition, something a little bit more visually intelligent. And because I know you're not pretentious, I don't want to position you like that, but there is a visual intelligence about 
the work that you're doing. Um, people can't read it out loud. They can't recognize it as a hot girl or mm-hmm. a clown or something like that. Uh, they have to let the visuals affect them on a, on a physical level or a mental level. Do yes. you want to discuss that? Yes, and, and thank you for the compliment. Obviously, um, there is. I do want people to kind of experience the art. And when you're dealing with something that's visually intense like this, like the longer that you look at it, you might get increased, you know, visual awareness. So you might start to see new things. Or you know, I, I've always had fun playing with visual, you know, enticement, like um, staring at things without blinking. You know, that sounds really weird, but if you do that, you actually get like things start to look different, you know, and I like to explore and exhaust all the possible ways of interpreting stuff visually. Um, so I've had a lot of fun with that and I've explored that to, to its fullest. Um, I also think that um, enjoying the work like that is important. Um, I feel like op art as a whole is, is like such an intense and beautiful movement. And it's also very ambitious in the sense that um, there really is no second to perfection, if that makes sense. Like it, it really is like you can't half do op art. You have to fully do it and you have to do it well. And it has to be beautiful, meticulous, perfect work. You know, I was kind of speaking with someone earlier about, um, just different styles of art and how much, how contrary op art is to, you know, something that you'd see from a self-taught painter or someone who, you know, an oil painter or a brush painter, you know, someone who works with acrylics. It, it's so different because it really has to be super pristine because if you don't do that, you don't like hit the mark, if that makes sense. The self-discipline involved is, uh, well, it's tight. You have to be completely disciplined and you have to see things through even when Mm -hmm. they don't seem to be working it it also takes a lot of trial and error as well you know like a lot of the stuff that you see in the show it wasn't the first time that it worked out you know like how i've said this mentioned this before as well as like a lot of things that i do like i'll start from scratch you know what i mean like it really takes several times even though i'm doing something that i've done thousands of times it still takes me many times to perfect it and get the perfect coat of paint or you know get the perfect frame joint all that stuff takes a lot of work and, and it, it's something that you can't rush. Um, there's even pieces that I made for the show that didn't make the cut, you know, so that's just something based on like the quality level that I like to uphold with my work or, you know, whether I thought it didn't fit with the show cohesively. Um, all that stuff comes into play when you're curating the show and when you're really trying to make a presence and build a story um, through the work. And I think that I'm really confident with everything that's in the in the show. The whole body of work is very cohesive. Um, I think a really nice element is how the room is divided. The first floor of the gallery is entirely black and white monochromatic works. And then when you get to the basement level, it's entirely kaleidoscope, as you called it, uh, which I think was a perfect word because it's literally a punch of color, you know? And, and I think that having those two separations is really unique and different. And it's something that people don't see very often. And I think it's going to be exciting because, you know, black and white is is a beautiful combination. It's, it's definitely my favorite color scheme. Um, I enjoy looking at it and working in it so much. Sometimes I, be, I even question why I like it so much, you know, like, cause even, even black and white photography, I, I love that. You know, that's my favorite. I don't know why, but color is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes I, I just enjoy environments that are all in one, if you will. Like, because like, you know, like right now we have woods and we have black and orange and, you know, 
tan of your shirt and stuff like those combinations that that combination doesn't doesn't flow but whenever you drop something down to grayscale i love how it, it all flows and that could also be the same i was speaking with someone last night about a similar idea about um monochromatic color schemes where it's like looking at things through blue lenses or purple lenses or yellow lenses like you know when you kind of see everything like like a black purple to a white purple if that makes sense i like I like that so much more than when it's a jumble of colors, when it's everything. We you like uh, form. You like form and, and paired back perfection, and color can distract you. Mm -hmm. But the one thing with the immersive project you did at Maddox Gallery, which I find it to be, I find it something that kind of expands your narrative into a Kusama-like infinity room, for me, the whole experience of walking into a black and white world and then being taken into color can remind me of The Wizard of Oz, can remind me of um, Kusama infinity rooms where, where the lights come on or they go off and suddenly you're seeing things differently and mm -hmm. there's no end and no beginning. So it's that idea of how connected we all are and how we can through vision transcend our experience through vision vision through hallucination through states of dance and trance and is it am i going somewhere philosophically with you on this journey correct okay yeah, i i completely agree and i think that it it kind of was like almost like a happy accident like i didn't intend for it to be a journey but i've realized that it is because you're, you're entering through the monochromatic world and then once you kind of you know see the staircase there's a window that shows the staircase and we have some of the art installation coming up from the ground uh, from the basement floor mixing with the top floor so it's like you kind of see that meetup transition point between the black and white and the kaleidoscope and that's kind of nice because like i think people coming to the show they're not going to expect that basement level they're not going to expect color based on what they see on the first floor and then once you're in the space and you're looking around you kind of you know look to your right and you see that little bit of color and you're like oh it's like an easter egg you know and that's something philosophically could be a journey you know because it's it's like a birth into color because you're you're starting starting with black and white starting with grayscale and then you're kind of opening up and you know crescendoing into a kaleidoscope world of color in the basement which is which is beautiful in london in the past few few years since prior to lockdown there's been a few op art things bridget riley's had a bit of a renaissance so her work was at the hayward and the national gallery david zwerner obviously kusama uh, some dan flavin lightworks james terrell at pace and i see all of that informing what you do but in a in a new way uh, i i wonder in a world that's full of labels and images and kind of looks if if there's a type of resistance to to culture that the culture that we live in and what you're doing and adding to that you're very much about a group rather than an i correct i've, I've always felt that way and always felt strongly about um, using the power of numbers and people and everyone's specific skill set. Um, I've definitely been very vocal about that. A lot of people would definitely be more shy about that. You know, a lot of people in the art world kind of take credit for everything and uh, hide the fact that they work with assistants and work with people. I mean, yes, I'm involved in every single part and I do every single portion of it, but I think it's always good having a helping hand and someone whose expertise is being flexed at that moment. Like, Yes, I am a carpenter, but am I a better carpenter than the guy who works with me? No. 
You know what I mean? So I have to, it's good to put my ego aside and really care about the artwork because at the end of the day, it's not about me, me, me. It's like, it's about the art. It's about what's on the wall, what it looks like, what the final product. And it's about the journey getting there. That That's art. That's the process. And it doesn't, doesn't matter. It could be 50 people that produced it. That doesn't matter. But what matters is how good it looks and how close it was to the initial idea and how we got there. And like Carlos Cruz Diaz, who was at Phillips or Victor Vassarelli, you're, you refer to your pieces living in the world, not hanging in the world or mm-hmm. sitting on a wall or being installed. You talk about how they live. Yeah, they they definitely are alive, you know, because you're you're literally birthing them and like making them like like you know like children. <laughs> like that's a lot of people refer to paintings as their kids, you know. Like these are these are my babies, and um, I care so much about their life and how they are going to be taken off my hands. I'm I'm such a stickler when it comes to handling and packaging and uh, hanging everything. You know, like I don't let I don't like them to be touched when you know by the bare skin. Like I'm very particular about. You had specially made gloves to go with. The- the work Correct. you were selling each, at Maddox each, Gallery. Yeah, um, each piece comes with a custom set of gloves that I screen printed. And the aftercare with your pieces is quite intense, let's say. Yeah. Like I, a luxury brand, you're always there for the person who buys your work. And, and as well as I've, I've came at it with that in mind as well. So I, I use specific paints that are easy to be cleaned or have a long shelf life or... Um, are easy to be handled, you know, because there, there's certain stuff in the art world that's art's very fragile and paint. And especially when, like I said, op, op art is perfect, you know, like certain people, like I was mentioning Basquiat, like he has shoe prints on his piece. Like you can't make an op art piece with the shoe print on it. You know, that, that doesn't fly. The piece is trash then. So it is really fragile and you do kind of have to baby these things because they are, that's, that's the point. The point is for it to be perfection um and that's all the things that matter and yes i always try to be available i'm obviously very vocal in my community and my collector base i'm you know friends with a lot of these people as well and so it's i I find it very easy and you know i i take all the precautious measures that i can where i you know know every paint that was used on that piece every material how to how to refurbish that um i've had some minor things in the past where people need uh something get something framed and you know that that dialogue is always very open they'll be like hey i'm going to frame your piece like how do you think i should do it and i'll give the suggestions i'll look for a preferred vendor in their in their area um even out of completely out of the city that i'm in you know like i've done this for people all over Europe and in uh, New York and everything like which is um, why brands and communities and walls and mm-hmm. so many people like collaborating with you and you do so many collaborations was yeah. it over 60 murals it's a lot it's a lot of murals and, and as well as like so many live things you know I've done like li- I've live painted so many times and, and that's like that's a crazy crazy thing to do um, I do feel that like I'm rather easy to work with i feel like that's why it lends myself so well to collaboration it's funny Um, because you sound very serious and i need to tell people that you're quite fun to be around (laughs) thanks (laughs) i think people get afraid that it's going to be very militant and numb tight Uh and it's not it's a really great warm environment but you are precise yeah my studio is practically a a comedy show not from me from from everyone else like yes but within that you're focused the most serious work but they're literally like cracking non-stop jokes and i'm like (laughs) it's like 
<laughs> oh man like we're like literally laying like crazy resting with like times and like you know lalo or someone's making a funny joke and i'm like guys like not now um but yeah no i find myself you know easy to work with and flexible with brands and stuff like there's so much criteria i think i'm just understanding like take yourself out of it like again like that person is running a major event sometimes multi-million dollar event and they have you know 70 things on their plate like don't add any more stress than you need to for them and that's that ideology right there is almost what your work's about the chaos within the control or the control around the chaos so when mm -hmm. i look at your morphs your polymorphs which were called squiggles which are mark making which are signature lefty mm -hmm. the way you handle the interior of the morphs is the, it could be the gearhard richter squeegee which is unpredictable it could be hand painted it could be with resin I know we've talked about it possibly being an earthwork, an airwork, a fire piece. Mm -hmm. So this philosophy is endless. It's infinite. Yeah, and, and it kind of allows me to absorb different things as well. Like if I'm feeling a certain way, if I want to jump into a new medium or use a, a technique, I can almost absorb that into what I'm already doing. And that's what keeps my work cohesive over 10 years. I've been a very diligent continually hardworking artists and I've created a lot of artwork um, and it's fun because I'm constantly experimenting and, and trying new things and I, I like the word absorbing because that, that is kind of what we're doing remixing absorbing and even even I thought it was interesting because like the lines are so many different things and just like you said that they also have so many different names yeah Cause like that's that's how many different things they are that they they I haven't even found the perfect word for them yet. Like they, they are shapeshifters, they're polymorphs, they're squiggles, they're lines, they're marks, you know, everything fits. But they're instantly recognizable as right. you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that is, that is the great thing is I've also seen a lot of people paint the lines or attempt to like people I work with, family members. One time my dad was like, I can do that. And I was like, oh yeah, do it. And he was like, oh, it's it's harder harder than it looks. And that's the thing is these lines are so distinctly mine. Like even the people that paint by my side every day of the week, you know, six, seven days a week, they can't even draw the lines the way I do because they haven't been doing it. At this point, I've drawn millions of these lines, you know, like literally millions because it's, that's that's a conservative estimate. Since you were um, nine years old, this is when this image even, came up for the first e time. Even shorter than that, because I mean, I'm I'm just saying as like the, my time as a professional artist, I kind of like did some quick numbers and a quick estimate, and a lot of times like pieces will have up to four thousand lines. So if I did the math, and if you know if you add that up on top of the murals and on top of like in previous years, I used to do layers, so I would do a full pass of of yellow then i would do a full pass of green a full pass of pink like i was trying to like make something between the combinations of the lines i was like exploring this like idea i think um, you're looking for a symphony i think this goes right back yeah. to your music training that there's a there's a there's you're, you're playing music with colors in a sense mm -hmm. yeah i was trying to make make something out of like the combination the happy accidents where all of a sudden you know making portraits out of multiple you know layers of lines but the reason why i mentioned that is because that was imagine 4,000 lines but times three or four on one painting you know what I mean so like I really can truly say that I've drawn millions of lines you know because that, that adds up 4,000 you know times 100 whatever that that adds up very quickly so the response to the work can range from people might feel it in their stomach people might get lightheaded other people might get happy but you never deny the viewer their own experience 
Mm-hmm. With that said, who is the ideal person to live with your work? Now, for those of you listening or, or tuning into this, Lefty's wearing his, a, a bespoke beautiful suit covered in his his morphs and i know they're part of your body as well and mm-hmm. and it, it it's doesn't on everything it do, it looks nor it everything. looks absolutely natural the the watch face yeah. uh, rings rings every, necklaces everything the yeah. drip as much yeah thank you and i i would like to continue that you know and but but i like it to be tasteful in a sense like it is. when it comes to garments you know that's why i chose to do the black on black monochromatic because i wanted it to be subtle but still intense and striking and beautiful and still be a suit you know i didn't want to do a black and white crazy puncher suit because that's not what a suit is a suit is classy it's elegant so this is like my spin on a classic bespoke suit so what someone could think of as being locked into a design pattern actually liberates you yeah I there's mean, the possibilities are, are endless <laughs> right and it's fun doing all this stuff like i said like you know lately it's it has been a lot of jewelry stuff and that, that's been so different but it's so beautiful working with golds and silvers and diamonds like that stuff is like what a beautiful material you're talking about the best materials on earth like honestly i i'm becoming obsessed with diamonds because the freaking color that they put out is amazing like the iridescent beautiful shimmers like that that's an amazing texture that you definitely can expect to see in my physical artwork the one thing i think the viewer visiting maddox gallery has to do is be willing to step out of their comfort zone and to spend more than 27 seconds looking at i would love that an artwork yes I, i think that's yeah definitely having someone experience it i don't know my ideal person to to enjoy the artwork i think that's a tough question because i think it's so many different people you know like i said i feel like there's so many different people that can relate to the work um i do see trends and the kind of people that gravitate towards it more but there's they're not like a type like it's so across the board and like i said there's almost like reasons for why they like it um but yeah i mean obviously i feel like it's i make art for myself you know this is this is me i think this stuff's amazing um, so I feel like it's people like me, you know what I mean? Like people that like art. You also Pe- collect art. And I yes. think it's really important to talk about the artists that influence you mm-hmm. and who you look at. So, so Yeah, I, I love, um, I feel like I am fascinated with um, living artists, specifically like contemporaries. Uh, I do collect a lot of people who I would consider my contemporaries. Um, you know, that being said, there's I have Flea Pantone, Dembski, um, I have Devin Desjardins, I have Don't Fret, I have Sauté, um, my, I have like a cr- collection of over 30 originals. The list goes on and on, honestly. Um, Body and, art. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that, that was physical art in the room, but yeah, obviously I also have, uh, I'm on my 38th tattoo, um, and all, a lot of them are artworks done by that artist. Some of them aren't even like professionally trained tattooers. Like I have, I have graffiti tags by people who like kind of do tattoos that are like really good artists. You know, like from Mexico, from Chicago, from New York, um, from Brazil. I'm about to get a crazy leg tattoo from Dots to Lines, who's like a really famous Berlin tattoo artist who does optical stuff. It's it's fat line work that twists and turns and overlaps, um, and that's amazing. I'm doing a abstract calligraphy artist from portugal on may 1st he's tattooing my back it's going to be like these like loose calligraphy marks um yeah i mean i'm continuing to 
collect and support artists. I think it's important. And, and beyond that, like I buy every sticker pack. You know, I have an immense sticker collection. I, I buy people's merch when they make t-shirts or when they make a home good thing. Like I'm, I'm constantly like, I'm buying stuff I don't need because I'm supporting art. And I'm, that's my way of contributing and supporting the art movement and helping other people their dreams come true you know like i'm buying i buy the most random sticker packs just because i i enjoy it and it's like a little it's a little thing and uh, and then i can't even get started about my screen print collection <laughs> it's, that's like 50 plus deep you know so my home is filled full with with art you know i have like a loft in in downtown la um, next to my studio so i have two units next to each other and um i don't have any of my personal artwork in the home that's like i kind of i have a whole whole nother unit that's dedicated to me so actually i keep um my my room is entirely full i have sculpture sculpture work i have massive you know four by eight paintings i have a massive six by four massive uh, five by five uh ufo 907 i have one of his um and it's it's interesting the collection is kind of split i like i have personally I have two styles i have optical people who i consider you know very tight perfect optical work and then i also enjoy like hand-painted self-taught artists so i have like like that's where don't fret comes in or ufo 907 um artists of that aesthetic so that's kind of what i those are kind of my earlier collection like what i've been collecting for a while and some of the newer stuff has been definitely more on the optical bright um, and my, my space is entirely white so i have all white furniture white floors white walls and then the art is mostly black and white but there if it's not it's kaleidoscope color you know, like so a Murakami if, pillow. I have like a one meter Murakami pillow, like things like that. It's all very like. So. And the Kenny Scharf Dior shirt you had, I remember yes, that. Yes, I have a Kenny sculpture and a Kenny print. So if money was no object and getting the piece was no object, is there a wish, a wish list? Is there a piece that you, anywhere in history, anywhere in the world that you'd want um, well, to live with? Well, my next acquisition, which is which is actually going to happen. Uh, I'm going to get one of the Philippe Pantone kinetic pieces, the wall pieces that slide. Um, that's, that's without a doubt. That's not even a, a dream. That's going to be a reality very soon. So that's like next on my acquisitions list. Um, I was recently looking at um, some Nichos's work um, from his last show in LA. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, obviously there's, there's definitely stuff from the greats. Like it would be amazing to own um, a Jean D. Buffet. I'd say one of the one of the blue, red, black, and white Jean D. Buffets. That that's that would be for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I see so many. Honestly, things. I saw yeah. we saw I saw that they came out and danced last spring. Wow! Yeah, that was that amazing. Was amazing. That, I was able to see that show at um, at that place, and that at was the absolutely Barbican, yeah. yeah, I've never seen that many of his works in person, or really like he was such an outsider. Yeah, apparently he didn't start painting it or doing art until he was forty. It was it was a beautiful show, and obviously like. I pull a lot of inspirations from that, even unknowingly, which I find very interesting because I've also heard that Keith Haring was very into and inspired by Jean D. Buffet, and I found that coincidence very weird. You know, I heard Basquiat was too. Yeah. that he went to visit the show at Pace while he was alive, like five or six times. That's cool. Yeah, you it can is, see isn't it. it. You can see it in some of the other Jean works, where the you know the messier looser you know hand, where scra he's like scratching at mud or whatever like those you can definitely see it in the works like that i, I see the relation um, but yeah i mean there's so many museum pieces and bigger sculptural things like a judd piece you know like obviously yeah, i would love wow. all that kind of stuff like that you know judd was the person who first bought a kusama uh, i'm not surprised though that's cool 
an infinity net. He wrote about her and bought a piece. I think he paid $100 for it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the foundation awesome. sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. If there was a reason for art that you could explain to someone who's never collected art before, if there's a reason for it that you could explain to a kid who... His parents aren't artists. What it's would the so, reason for art be? It's what so is important. It? It's your it's your environment. That's your subconscious environment. Like, I can't find more inspirations than the space around you. This I've always taken that super seriously. Like my my homes have always been very well curated, very well decorated, uh, because there is nothing more important. And I do with young people, especially. You know, it's obviously you're coming to like sometimes it might be financial holdings, and that's the reasons why they don't have it. But there's it's so easy to find, you know, accessible art. Like that's why screen prints. I started with with what I could afford, which is screen prints and things like that. And it's fun. I mean, it's something that you can get into and. It is your physical space. I, I can't tell you how many times I'll look at something and it'll spark an idea. And I think that's the same for everyone else. Like you, you know, you see something and you don't even notice that you're doing it. But that that kind of stuff is so helpful and so apparent. And I think that people should take that way more seriously. It's a funny one because a lot of us are, grow, are raised to believe that you're superficial if you're sensitive to beauty and you need everything to be beautiful and you value beauty. There's a certain judgment that went along know. with it, but well, the, the old term is called an esthete and it was people who were genuinely disturbed if... But but you, your aesthetic can be not nice. It doesn't have to be... You don't have to have million dollar artwork aesthetic. You can have a a trash aesthetic if you like if you like a trash sculpture like literally you know like or like you know street art or something like if that's that's not superficial because it's not like cliche like perfect whatever you know it's it's different so i, I think it also could be your personal style it you, not everyone has to collect the same thing but i'm guessing you're going to judge a book by its cover I mean, I think it's, I judge by authenticity. I'm, kid, I'm yeah. kidding. It's I mean, so, I just. If, if you have a trash, like, honestly. You see like, what I mean found, about the values? Yeah, like, like, sometimes we're Literally thought... collecting things from the street. Like, people do that. I've had friends that, that literally collect, like, like similar to Kenny Scharf, le like, level of, you know, hoarder collection. Yeah. I'll judge your collection based on the authenticity and how cool it is. Like, I don't, I'm not a person that gets uncomfortable around any scenario or any, you can put me in any room and I can crush it. Um, and that's goes along with like comfortability. Like I've been in some crazy places I would consider, you know what I mean? Some not normal environments, some people's homes or, you know, like I said, I, I enjoy that. I, it's interesting, but I would definitely would judge, judge based on the authenticity. I can, and I can look at it and look at it as a whole and step back and be like, okay, this person is like this because of this. And they, you can read it visually. This. You yeah, can read it I'm, visually. And I enjoy it with them because I'm like, that's cool. I'm going to live life through your lens and I'm going to vibe on that. Vivas 2 is at Maddox Street until the 5th of May. You're there tonight. You're around this weekend. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about? Nothing comes to mind. It's it's always a pleasure speaking with you. You're, you know appreciative and you're the best so Same. thank you love your work and it gets better and better and whatever happened in the last 18 months you you as you said crushed it it's a great show and i thank you hope everyone gets the opportunity to see it and yes. i hope next time it is at the barbican alongside jean dubuffet's i hope so as well thank you very much if you have the opportunity to uh come by Maddox Gallery, please do. Vivas 2 is on until the 5th of May. I know you won't be disappointed. 
You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. I am an art critic and artistic director at Maddox Gallery. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Cora Shadhami. Thank you for listening.